Welcome back to Notes from the North, your go-to Minnesota Vikings podcast. Before we get started, we want to offer thanks to purpleptsd.com and vikingsterritory.com for giving us a chance to post our podcast over there. Sure to check out great Vikings coverage over at purpleptsd.com and vikingsterritory.com. Welcome to Notes from the North with Kyle and Sam. Well, welcome back to Notes from the North. This is actually episode 100 for Notes from the North, so a uh, little bit of celebration here. And Kyle and I were thinking, you know what, how can we make this uh, episode special? And uh, it has been made special now because we have a special guest. Uh, Arif Hassan, welcome to Notes from the North. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So uh, I know, Arif, you are now writing for Pro Football Network. I know mm-hmm. you're well known in the Vikings community for... Uh, offering up sophisticated in-depth analysis of this heartbreaking franchise. Um, so as we get started here, just maybe, uh, I know you, you probably have a, a long story and a short story, but uh, maybe just tell us a little bit how you got to this point in your career. Sure. I'll I'll, I'll see if I can kind of, you know, thread the needle and make it kind of a medium story. Uh, Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, uh, I'd been uh, I'd been blogging for a little bit at the Daily Norseman, uh, and you know, so I started out writing about the Vikings, right? So I blog, I was blogging the Daily Norseman, and uh, my writing got a little bit of traction. Someone told me, "Hey, apply to write at the Bleacher Report." At the time, they were, you know, accepting applications for team writers that would pay people. So I did that. I was able to get in. I did that for a while, and then um, Adam over at Vikings Territory offered to give me the editor in chief job there for a little while. So I did that, and I was able to collect. Nice. Yeah. So you know, Vikings Territory was a really big part of of the way that I kind of move forward uh and then yeah i was i was able to to turn that into into something big for me and uh that got my name out there a little bit more i learned a lot about editing i learned that i didn't want to do it it turns out <laughs> but yeah, right. you know that that was enough for me to kind of like live on for a little bit and so when uh sam and a couple of other people wanted to start zone coverage which brought together you know a bunch of people that um, at the time, were considered you know leading voices. You know Dane Moore over at Timberwolves beat. Um, you know Fakeless over at the Timberwolves beat. Um, it, it, Giles over with the Wild beat. You know bringing all of those Minnesota guys together into one spot seemed like a really smart idea, and I was I was really excited about that. Did that did that for a couple of years. Was able to start actually paying my rent with writing, which was crazy. Uh, yeah. And then uh, and then the Athletic reached out, and so I did that. Did that for a couple of years was fantastic for my professional development was fantastic for getting you know myself out there i learned a lot about writing learned a lot about reporting uh and you know how to hone my voice and then you know pro football network reached out and i'm i'm really lucky because uh there's only a couple of times where i felt like i've had to proactively kind of apply for a job which i think is pretty rare in this industry i think a lot of people um who ended up being some of the best people you know in their beat or in their spot you know ended up having to apply for a job i got headhunted the whole time i haven't had to work you know, in that respect, which is right. just, it's a phenomenal blessing. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's how I ended up here. And Pro Football Network said, hey, um, the Athletic has a bunch of great national writers. I know that you want to be one of them, but, you know, if you want to, you, you could be a lead NFL writer a couple of years ahead of schedule there. You could, you can take on our lead NFL writing role over at Pro Football Network. I talked to the guy um, that that had that role for them, Mike Kay, um, who was leaving to, to be at the Charlotte Observer. And I was like, hey, man, What's up, Pro Football Network? Is it something I want to take? And Mike and I go all the way back um, to like 2012, 2013. We, we were like draft Twitter buddies way back then. And he was like, yeah, it's sure. going to be the best job of your life. And he was right. So I took the job. Good for you. So I knew. OK, so I, I knew a little bit of that. So I, I can't really came to your writing um, through The Athletic. 
right? And I was just reading Chad Graff. Uh, and then you came on the beat. And I remember, um, gosh, I was working, uh, I was in school at the time. And I was talking to a colleague at school saying, we just got a film guy. This is this is a good day, right? And, and you were the film guy. And mm -hmm. so I was, I was thrilled to have, um, you know, kind of like a different angle, right? And so I came to your work that way. Uh, I didn't realize you did editor-in-chief stuff at Vikings territory. And so I, I do my work for BT and for PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, did you overlap with Joe Johnson? Uh, no, actually, I didn't. Um, okay. Actually, uh, Joe and I have had touched base a couple of times over sure. the years. We just couldn't make uh, anything work out. Sure. Um, he he wanted me on Purple PTSD, and I think I, I wrote one or two times over Purple PTSD. Sure. This is before you know he had acquired a Vikings territory, and uh, unfortunately, before he passed away, we actually uh were doing a lot together to try and see if we can build something together, and it just didn't come together. It's you know one of those things that happens, but um, yeah. you know the the way that he was kind of able to to bridge those two things and yeah. and build something that's really big in the Vikings blogger space because before it was kind of it was just the Daily Norseman, then Adam Warwas yeah. comes in and builds Vikings territory, and so it's like it, it was it, it's really big to try and build something new in that space. And I you know I really yeah. commend Joe for for how dogged and and uh, and durable he was in that. Dude was a dreamer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent a dreamer. That's the best he way to dreamer. describe him. Absolutely. Yeah. He was. He was. Uh, not the first one. But he was the second one. I think who like paid me, right? Which is just like a big deal because yeah. if you're just like kind of blogging on the side, you was a passion. You can't. You know, you got whatever it is you have on the go, and then like someone's actually gonna pay you to write about the Vikings. When isn't previously, it, like, it a I was just crazy a fan. feeling, right? Like, it's a oh, crazy. It's, right. it's like, the first time that happens. Second time that happens. It's wild. Yeah, it's it's totally surreal, right? And it's like. Yeah, so anyhow, always always a soft place in my heart for Joe. Mm -hmm. Final question for you here. So you've kind of gone from, so you're kind of honing in on the Vikings, right? And kind of just like focusing on, on that one team to now you've made this jump to Pro Football Network and you're kind of taking a more national focus, covering really a variety of issues, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, is there some sense of like, now you're a mile wide and inch deep? Like, is it like on the one hand, you're like one franchise and go super in depth, but now you're covering 32, right? And and so on and so forth. And so, you know, what are, are there pros and cons there? Uh, things you didn't expect? Like, what's that process been like? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think if I had done that transition completely without having stepped into doing some national writing for The Athletic, I think I would have been lost. I, I, it is sure. It is a really difficult transition because... You know, as a as a Vikings guy, and especially with kind of the nature of how I wrote about the Vikings, which involved, you know, knowing kind of like, hey, I know that, you know, Ty Chandler is like the fourth running back. That's just something that I'm going to know. Right. And I remember that Joe Banyard was the fourth running back like way back. Right. Like, and it's just yeah. part of covering the Vikings is that, you know, who the sixth corner is, you know, who, you know, like the fifth receiver is, you know, that like Josh Metellus is cracked at special teams he's so good at special teams right it's fantastic that's yeah. a thing that you know but like i can't tell you who that is for the seahawks right i can't tell you who right, that exactly. is for the texans so um i had to really kind of reframe the way that i thought about how i would cover a lot of these teams when they came up in my coverage right and what i could be comfortable with right and so i figured well, if I can't bring the depth in terms of the deep knowledge that all of these rosters have, which I do still have to explore when I'm like writing a mock draft, because I don't want to I don't like yeah. if if a team has drafted a receiver in the second round two years ago and that guy just hasn't seen the field for whatever reason. I don't want to give that team a receiver just because I don't know who that guy is. Right. So I, I want to always be aware. But um, 
if if uh if if I have to try to cover all of these teams and these national level stories to the best of my ability, I still want to bring, you know, nuance and depth and care to the writing and not just be kind of a hot take artist. Uh, and so I still, I still approach it, but I approach kind of surface level subjects, hopefully mm -hmm. in that way. So for example, yeah. you know, we'll talk a lot about who the quarterbacks are. That is like 50% of the discussion in the NFL. Right. Yeah. And so I'll talk about, you know, hey, is Lamar Jackson right to do this? Hey, are the 49ers, is that quarterback situation kind of easy to resolve? Those are top yeah. level questions. A lot of people will have takes on those questions. But if I can talk about, you know, the specific issues I have with Brock Purdy's play style, I think that that can add to the conversation in a way that, that no one else does. And I think that that really drives at what makes that coverage unique or good, hopefully, right, which is if you can bring something new to a conversation, especially if it's a conversation a lot of people have, then you're adding value. Because the way I added value to the Vikings beat was bringing something new. Sometimes that meant talking about the fourth receiver. Sometimes that meant breaking down a ton of film, going through analytics and stuff like that, breaking down blitz rates and third down rates and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. But now it means uh, taking a surface level subject and seeing if there's an additional twist that we can bring to it that'll allow that conversation to kind of generate. So for sure. for a little bit, it is a mile wide and inch deep, but I try to make sure that the view is still good, if that makes sense. I want to yep. make sure that the landscape looks pretty, even if sure. I can't do all the landscaping myself. Sure. That's fair enough. I mean, it's it's just like it's remarkably ambitious, right? Like being being a national writer to me strikes me as being just insanely difficult. Um more so, I think, than covering one team. At least, not that I've I've never done anything except for writing with the Vikings. Yeah, well, right? it, so. it it really depends on on the kind of writer that you are, and I don't actually think this is not meant to be an insult to to yeah. anybody. But um, when you become a national writer, you, there's just a lot of choices that you have to make about the way that you'll. And I didn't realize this. Um, if if you can be a breaking news guy, then you can yeah. be a breaking news guy, and you're a national, you know, writer basically, and that's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you can also just be a, if you if you're an analytics heavy guy, which, you know, in in I do a lot of, of, of database work. But if you're an analytics heavy guy, that scales pretty easily. And so you right. can talk about yeah, it. And so great. it does that's kind great. of depend or sometimes you can chase stories. Sometimes you can decide to lose your quality a bit. And so you can increase your quantity a little bit because um, I can't write five stories a day. That's just not how I'm wired. But yeah. if you're a national if you're a beat guy, it's hard to write five stories. a day. There's not enough stories. But if you're a national guy, you could write five stories a day, so long as you're willing to sacrifice, yeah. you know, word count and depth of reporting and stuff like that. So you can um, lose what what made you an, an excellent beat writer in order to gain something else to become an effective national writer, or you can try to manipulate the things that you were good at in one thing and the other. And and, and for some guys, it is easier to do national work than beat work because you don't have to spend a lot of time reading all of the coach pressers you don't have to spend yeah, a lot of time right. Right. you know breaking down film or or seeing like hey man this running back's third down snaps are really important like that does if you're a national guy that might not matter at all right you, it might matter if you're a fantasy national guy but usually it just like doesn't matter like i'm mike boone just signed with the texans and most national guys will probably never have to care about that i want to because it's kind of like you know yeah but it's it's yeah. so some for some guys, it is a little bit easier because it allows you to to stop trying to dig deeper 
because maybe it's a little bit easier to go a little bit broader or something like that and have a have a pulse in the stories that matter, which is kind of the second difficulty I had. Like I did a lot of national work for the for the athletics. So I, I started developing this since before it became my job. But knowing what stories sell nationally is way different than knowing what stories sell locally. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, if there's like a quarterback battle, like a, a Christian Ponder, Donovan McNabb, right. Quarterback battle sure. turned out to you know suck. But um that one always sold, right? And then it became Christian Ponder, uh, Joe Webb, right? That one always sold locally. I that no one cares <laughs> nationally, you know, who's winning that That's quarterback right. battle, That's right? So, like, you can make a reference to it, you can talk about it a little bit, but you don't, if you're spending time in that, you're not spending somewhere time somewhere that's a little bit more important, right? So, uh, chasing stories is just a little bit different. You have to have a good sense of like what the national interest of a story is going to be. I love it. So, I mean, this was almost philosophical. And my main takeaway here is that uh, the leap is kind of, in some ways, contingent on uh, a certain degree of discernment, you could say. I think it's some of, think some of what you've been yeah. saying. To, I mean, I don't know if that's not the word you use necessarily, but yeah. there's some discernment there involved. Sam, I know you're you're the you're the time guy. Let's uh, let's jump to the rapid fire portion here. Yeah, let's do it. I I feel like we could have sure, sure, we could have sure. spent our whole time talking more about about. Uh, Arif and, and your career and, and everything. But uh, so we've got some questions here. Uh, we talk about this is kind of our rapid fire section. And the idea here is I'm going to make a statement. Uh, it I, it could be probably classified as a hot take. Uh, sure. And really what we're looking from you is yes, no, uh, maybe avoiding a little bit of the maybe. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. y- yes or no, and and then maybe just a, a brief reason as to why you you say that. So we're going to start here. We're starting the offense here. KJ Osborne will find success as Minnesota's wide receiver number two. I'm going to go with yes, but I'm going to say that the Vikings are going to bring in competition second or third round of the draft, uh, and so it won't be clear until it starts. But I think he ultimately has that talent. I think that when Kirk Cousins and Kevin O'Connell are further closer to the same page that I think the, the full potential of the players of that offense will be uh, easy to explore. And I think that that'll help KJ Osborne. I love it. I like it. That makes sense. Um, Okay. Number two, Jordan Hicks will play considerably faster in the Flores defense. No, Uh, I think the linebacker coaching is going to improve and that's going to allow him to trigger a little bit quicker in terms of some of his reads and stuff like that. So he might, react faster but i i think that i mean he was a super athlete at texas we saw it at philadelphia we did not see it at arizona we did not see it in minnesota i think he's tapped out that that's fair uh okay here here's a here's an interesting one signing marcus davenport to a one-year prove-it deal was a stroke of genius genius okay yeah. uh this is where the I, hot take uh, yeah yeah, yeah okay so after i saw the contract structure it turned out to be a contract that I really disliked a lot to one I actually do like, but a genius. No, absolutely not genius. I mean, it, it is buying low, which I think is a, is a good move, but like, I mean, there's a reason he didn't, he didn't produce as much as he needed to the last couple of years. He's never played over 600 snaps. That's just a really difficult one to to project. That's fair. That's fair. Um, okay. Garrett Bradbury is going to solidify Minnesota's interior offensive line. No. Um, he improved, I think, pretty dramatically last year. I think that a lot of that improvement was uh, unsustainable types of improvement. I think that primarily him playing very poorly 
is kind of who he is and who he's going to be. Okay. All right. And last one here before I turn it over to Kyle. Uh, the Vikings need to add a slot corner. Uh, I guess I'm going to say no, but it wouldn't bother me if they did because Byron Murphy has a lot of experience in the slot. The goal right now is that in two cornerback sets, he plays on the outside and in three cornerback sets, he plays on the inside. So you could get either a slot corner or an outside corner. So they need to add a third corner, but they don't need to pigeonhole themselves into only grabbing a slot guy. Okay. Right. I, like, I it. like it. That was, that was honest. And uh, I think, I think really fair, but I'm, I'm going to turn it over to Kyle here. Cause I know he's got uh, some interesting questions for our next section here. Sure. Sam specifically, he said, I feel like Sam said, if you, if you want this portion to be, cause we did, we had Jeremy Reisman on from Friday Detroit on last week. I love and, that dude, uh, man. He's, he was, he was an excellent yeah. guest. Yeah. He was so good. Um, I tried to hit him with my spicy lion steak and it was like a total, <laughs> I think it was only, only spicy to a Vikings person i was trying to tell him that you know ben johnson was the best movie of the lions offseason he's like oh yeah every detroit fan stuff <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> okay. yeah, fair, yeah all like, right fair enough. all right i mean yeah. I, I thought that was like i thought maybe yeah. like i like it you know, all these vikings fans are upset that they grabbed Sutton or whatever and i thought uh anyhow i get so it that was that was yeah. the experience of the rice man and we definitely got sidetracked on various um little side missions if we could use some like video game sure uh terminology I mean, wait, his but, podcast streams on twitch right you might as well use some video game Dude, he was telling me that, and I didn't realize yeah. till the end of the podcast. I mean, we always give people a chance to, like, you know, plug their stuff, obviously. And yeah, on Twitch, I yeah. had no idea that people did that in the NFL. They like he's, is that he's, people do. Arif? He's one of the few in that space that I think do it, but it's definitely worth exploring for sure. It's a really neat idea. Yeah, because you really get live feedback. Idea. You know, I think it's no, great. it's fantastic. I, like, I, I think it's brilliant. Right? Okay, sorry, I'm supposed to be Sam's always the soundtrack <laughs> here. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, and this is not at all, so please understand the spirit in which I'm asking this. This is not at all a holds a reef's feet to the fire. But sure. I wanted to ask you about something. There was a story that you wrote for The Athletic about a year ago that, you know, kind of where I perked up, where you talked the about... CJ Ham um, story? No. no. <laughs> it was this, same same as the old boss. And you talk about Quasi Dofa Mensa's competitive rebuilds, right? right? And, and make this comparison in the sense of like, you know, really how different is it from Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer? You know, we've gone from Spielman Zim to O'Connell and Gracie. You know, we've certainly got younger, more charming, more energetic, positive, certainly. But how different is their approach, right? And so those are some of the questions you were raising. And I remember, like, I perked up at the time. Um, I was like, yeah, okay, kind of interesting. And I wasn't sure what to make of it. Uh, and still, I mean, the competitive rebuild is ongoing. So basically what I want to know, I mean, here, basically a year on, not that I expect you to have that story like fresh in your mind or anything like that no i remember but, writing it okay well fair enough um crazy dole for mensa competitive rebuilds he's been on the job now for more than a year a little more than a year um you know, what do you think of him you know taking this approach is is it something that um has merit do you think or or would it be better to maybe go full-blown bears rebuild or rams go for it or or whatever what, what, what do you think here so uh, there's something I think I mentioned in the story when I wrote it that I probably should have put near the top and framed the story a little bit differently if I had that option. Yeah. And I think an Eric Eager tweet, which I know he's gone to war with a bunch of Vikings fans pretty recently, but I still yeah, like him. He's a controversial figure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But an Eric Eager tweet recently, I think, kind of 
reminded me of that actually. So the fact that you bring this up, the fact that he yeah. tweeted this like three days ago, I think it's it's pretty uh, useful, which is that it is difficult to really fully evaluate Adolfo Mensa within the context of what an organization should do from the 10,000 foot view, how they should steer the ship as it were. Yeah. Because right. it, it seems pretty clear that ownership has given him a particular direction to go in Precisely. and he's free to move within Precisely. those parameters. Yeah, and right. and I feel like I must have buried, if I didn't include that in the piece, then that's a huge mistake on my part. But I feel like I buried it in the piece that it is probably the case that the Wilfs told him, you know, your goal is always to make the playoffs and try to win a Super Bowl. It like you will need to find ways to be continuously competitive. You will need to find ways to continue loading the shotgun, finding more ammo, but yep. you will always need to try and compete. And if he wasn't given that, I think he would have moved on from Cousins, right? So mm -hmm. I, it, it, it was unfair of me to frame the story, especially in the headline. It's one of the few headlines that I actually had a lot of input in over at The Athletic because they just write <laughs> better headlines than I do. So I'm just like, yeah, sure. go for it. Write the headline. Sure. Um and 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 this one, the headline was about Adolfo Mensa, and maybe it shouldn't have been. But I will say, so that that large direction, right? Like in, the vector of approach, right, is the same, right? And I think that's an ownership issue. How that's executed is a little bit different. Some of the things are yeah, the same, right? right? A lot of trading down, right, in the draft, right? right? Um, but you know, Spielman is more likely, uh, in my recollection, maybe to sign a player in free agency after they've played well against the Vikings. Like Tajay Sharp comes to mind. Um, I think um, Alex Boone comes to mind. Uh, a couple of the Packers, you know, come to mind that he signed. Uh, and Adolfo Mensa is much more likely to buy players coming off of bad seasons. And Davenport. It, yeah, Davenport. Yeah, Davenport's yeah. an example. I actually think yeah. um, there's another there's another player that they signed in this cycle that, that counts too. And I'm just... I'm Troy Reader to me is, is an interesting one as well. Reader is interesting. Um, I think that that is, uh, I think that he genuinely could compete for the starting spot, but he's actually yeah. struggled for a little bit. It, it wasn't just a down year, but um, you know, you go back, I think Zadarius Smith is actually a pretty good example of that. Yeah. And I don't think like a lot of people think of it that way, but he was coming off a down year. He had a really poor market. That's the whole reason he wants to be released is now he wants to test for agency after a exactly. good year, supposed to a bad year. Yeah. And that seems to be a fairly consistent approach that he's taking. He's trying to buy low, right? Um, and I don't I don't think Spielman did that as consistently, right? Um, and, and there's a bunch of other kind of different ways that you can go. I think Spielman was a little bit more apt to buying into stuff like the running game. But of course, we saw this year to Josh Oliver um signing and some other stuff that they're doing. They're still gonna mm -hmm. emphasize the run game, but I think Spielman was a little bit less likely to do stuff surrounding, you know, positional value and, and evaluate that. So the way that they execute this particular vision that might be handed down to them, um yeah. It does differentiate them, but it does restrict both of them in the same way. It makes it very difficult for the Vikings to truly like take the bull by the horns in one direction or the other, right? So they could blow it all up, trade Kirk Cousins, get a bevy of picks, use those picks to move up in the draft, grab the quarterback that they want, and then just kind of go all in on this rebuild, right? Mm -hmm. But it also is really truly to just go all in to win right first because you have Kirk Cousins it's just a, an inherently difficult prospect with his contract and 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 his you know ceiling level of play um 
But then, you know, like you have to like make decisions about players like Harrison Smith and Eric Hendricks and Adam Thielen and Zedaria Smith. And, you know, some of them stayed, some of them didn't. We'll see what happens to Zedaria Smith. I think Dalvin Cook is probably still in the roster in a Spielman, uh, in a Spielman, you know, um, front office. Whereas here after the draft, I have no idea if Dalvin Cook's going to be on the roster. So mm-hmm. the way they execute this vision is a little bit different. But I was frustrated at the time because the Wolves are asking both of them to thread, uh, to use the same analogy, but to thread a needle, to walk a tightrope in a way that's really difficult to walk. I would argue that it's easier to overrate the Vikings' success last year. I think, you know, all the conversation about close game record, all of that matters, right? Um, But it would also be silly to say they didn't improve a lot. They did, right? So uh, in in a a lot of ways, it was a success. In a lot of ways, it was a fluke. How much of one or the other kind of depends on on how you break it down. But um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that I disagree with like 80 percent of what i wrote on that piece sure. but i would say that um looking back on it the way i framed it probably could have been a little bit more true to life sure and this wasn't i wasn't actually trying to put you in a bad spot or anything like that it was it was it was honest because this is again like and i actually like i give i give him credit give Rodolfo credit like you know like he basically took on the gm job and then like went to work at being like a philosophy professor and teaching us about false dichotomies. You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah, yeah. Like logical fallacies. Yeah. Crazy. You know? And so he's talking about like this binary way of thinking, right? And how like he doesn't see the world that way and, and you know, so on and so forth. But I, I think your your memory is exactly right. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it was Mark Wilf. Um, he's often the one who talks to the media more. Right. And uh, I believe he said uh, before anyone was even hired that, yeah, we believe we have the roster to compete, right? And so, and so the mandate for the new regime is to, you know, therefore compete. You know what I mean? And um, so to a certain extent, you kind of like, yeah, gosh, you know, it's, it's of course, he has to do competitive rebuild because of what the ownership wants to do. Um, but then, of course, yeah, within, within that general approach, there certainly is maybe flexibility and freedom and how that kind of happens. Um can you think of anybody, this is kind of putting you on the spot, can, and I was trying to think before I came on, um, can you think of any teams who have successfully done this, right? Who have kind of avoided the extremes. The one team I came up with, which maybe qualifies is the Eagles. I know they had the down year in, in 2020 where they, I think they only won four games. They got rid of Pedersen, they hired Sirianni. But I mean, they didn't, you know, they weren't trading Kelsey. They weren't trading Brendan Graham. They weren't trading... Darius Slay, you know what I mean? Whoever it was, they kept a lot of those impact vets. They improved the nine and eight. And then the last year, of course, we saw, uh, you know, they ended up losing the Super Bowl, but having an excellent year and really putting together an excellent roster. Um, Maybe you could say that was a competitive rebuild to a certain extent, but they did have the one really poor year. Um, I don't know. Can you, can you think of examples of basically refueling the flame, the plane on the fly? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, So I, Whenever I hear a competitive rebuild, my brain always goes back to, uh, I think it was like 2015, 2014, when uh, Pete Carroll said uh, the philosophy was to win forever. I think he said that when yeah. he was hired, too. That, that's his book, too. Yeah. yeah. Win forever. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but like, and, and it was obviously, it was really difficult, even when they had Russell Wilson for them to mm-hmm. kind of continue to do that. But yeah. I mean, I think any, any franchise that has had sustained success has done that, right. Has done a competitive rebuild in the years that have been a little bit down. I think the New Orleans saints are probably the best example, you know, having gone seven, nine, mm-hmm. three years in a row, having, uh, probably one of the best draft classes of all time in 2017 and turning that into uh, a run. Obviously they didn't like generate another rig out of it, but certainly they became, um, competitive, right. Um, so yep. that's a good one. But I think even if you look at like the Packers and the Patriots, I mean, um, you know, during the Tom Brady era, they were never going to not compete. But like that, like the 2013 and the 2016 Patriots were not good teams. And then the 2019 Patriots, because of the investments they made in 2017, 2018, 2019 Patriots had one of the best defenses that we never talk about. Right. Um, the Packers are, are somewhat similar. Obviously, that the the final kind of last two years um have dragged on but as they had to move on from like the the jordy nelson era basically right and that entire offensive line group that they had um and the james campen their offensive line coach they found ways to continue to be competitive with a new group of guys that they were able to bring in they had a lot of tough um you know a a lot of tough moments with Devontae adams those first few years legitimately he was just a bad receiver right and he turned into you know at some point, the best receiver in the NFL, according to, you know, whatever year he made the all pro. And a lot of people um, thought that, you know, he maybe deserved the title then. Certainly no question. He's a top five receiver. Um, and uh, and and their continued investments in some of those like people are like, hey, he's never gotten a skilled player in the first round. But, you know, all these second round guys turned into something. Right. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, they they they, they draft an Aaron Jones and then later they draft. um Gosh, now I'm blanking on the name. Just the giant power back with the enormous AJ thighs. AJ Dillon. AJ Dillon, right. Yeah. Um, the strong they, dude. Right. And they replace like, um, you know, John Kuhn with Josiah DeGuero, which is kind of a sideways replacement. One's a pullback, one's a tight end. But, um, or, or Ripkowski and then DeGuero. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, I, I think that the way that they kind of move forward from some of their rougher years probably qualifies in the same way that the Patriots probably qualify, even though they won a lot in the, in like those 2016, 2015 years. Sure. Um, I would say that. And then I think Pittsburgh attempted it. Um, yeah. And in a sense, they're kind of in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and it's kind of another one of those, I, I guess they maintain the above 500 record that Tomlin always has, but yeah, that's right. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of backed into, it. it's kind of ugly, but um, they, they did yeah. attempt it. And, uh, and I think that they were trying to muscle their way through it in big Ben's last year. Right. And so, yeah. Um, I, 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 I would say the, uh, kind of a, a rough takeoff on that one. Right. But, um, they, they might be able to stick the landing. Um, we'll see. All right. Okay. Let's, um, let's leave competitive rebuild behind NFL drafts. Sam, uh, what do you have for a reef here? Yeah. Well, maybe we'll, we'll wrap up our, our time here with this. And again, know the drafts coming up, uh, just a few weeks away now, uh, crazy to 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 think and so again we know that the vikings uh have picked 23 uh we know there's lots of talk about who but also it seems like there's really no there's not a lot of conversation i guess about who gets picked at 23 because it feels like a trade is likely going to happen yeah Um, and so i guess i'm kind of curious from your vantage point again knowing you're covering uh things from a national perspective now but also uh, as you're answering these questions you, you certainly still have uh an ear to vikings and and what they're what they're doing i'm curious for you if you have any uh prediction whether it's a bold prediction or maybe just 
a sense of what um maybe I'll, I'll phrase it like this if you have a bold prediction go for it if not maybe what do you think that they should do Oh man. Um, so I guess, uh, anti bold prediction. I don't buy the hand and hooker on the first round talk. Neither do I. Uh, so it doesn't really, um, I, if the Vikings drafted hand and hooker, that wouldn't shock me, but it, that to me sounds like a second round decision, right? Which would require a trade down or, or some sort of trade. But, um, yeah, I think the Vikings will trade down. I think that their first pick is likely going to be, doesn't have to be likely going to be a corner. Remember last year, their top need was cornerback. And, uh, they drafted a safety first, which I didn't feel like a need at the time. Right. So, um, so, you know, it, whatever happens, but I do think that we're going to get a receiver right in the first two days. And it, it would not overwhelm me with surprise. I'd be, I'd be a little bit surprised, but it would not overwhelm me with surprise if they drafted a receiver before they drafted a corner or before they drafted, because the receiver group kind of drops off a little bit faster than the cornerback group, at least according to kind of how these boards fall and how the mock draft data falls. Um, the corners that you seem to be able to get at the bottom, the second, top of the third, probably a little bit better than those receivers, right? Um, the receiver group is is really weird and limited in a lot of ways because they're all short dudes um, that a lot of people kind of project in the slot. So it's, it's really difficult to figure out how that receiver class is going to fall out. But if you, if you think you've got a guy that's unique in that class, if Quentin Johnston falls to the Vikings, I think they take him, right? So... Um, I, I think that that's kind of like, a that's a, that's a thing to watch out for. It's not gonna be a hot take. It's a good thing to watch out for that. Like, Oh, Hey, Jordan Addison's there. They might, they might be interested. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but it, it doesn't have to be that they'll take a corner first, but I think that we'll walk away, uh, at the end of day two with at least one additional cornerback on the roster. I think we'll probably walk away with another receiver on the roster and then whether or not, you know, that that third guy, if they only draft three in the first three days, the first three rounds, he's going to be a quarterback. I mean, certainly that's going to be a talker. It's going to be fun to, to to discuss, but um, it wouldn't shock me if they waited on quarterback until like the fourth round and got like, I don't know, Dorian Thompson Robinson or something or Max yeah. Dugan or something. Sure. Can we, all right, this is kind of off the cuff, but we've asked, I think we asked Tyler Fornis this, but we're going to ask you here, if we had the over under for Vikings draft picks at 6.5, you can take the over or the under for that. They have five right now, right? They got five currently. That's right. Yeah. Take the over. Take the over? Yeah. All right. Good enough. And not, not much hesitation either. You feel, feel good about it. So yeah. Then, well, I mean, okay. So just real quick on that. Yeah. They have, not only do they have this incredible proclivity to trade down. I mean, they traded down twice in the previous draft with division rivals, right? Not only that. But also, they've got two potential trade assets they might trade during the draft and Dalvin Cook and Zedaria yeah, Smith. So right. it, it feels like there's there's a really good shot at it. And I, I remember covering Spielman when he had like six picks or five picks. He walked away with 10. So, yeah. All right. So then can we, Sam, let's get three quick predictions from Arif. Can we, and then we can kind of see how he does. Um, who does Minnesota pick with the first overall pick? What, you know, wherever, wherever it be, 23rd or whatever, can you sure. give us a name? You a just name. Think, yeah, a name, a specific person. Oh, yeah. Think, so I've, you know I've been banging this drum with no sourcing, no particular reason. Yeah, sure. I just like the guy, and I kind of like the draft range that he tends to fall in. Deontay Banks, cornerback, Maryland. Um, I, sure. I just, I like him a lot. I have no idea if he's a if he's a crazy guy or Brian Flores guy. I know that he wins a lot in man coverage. I know that he seems like he's undervalued. I think that his traits stand out. I think that his athletic profile is phenomenal. I think that his yeah. understanding of, of where the ball is, is I think a lot better than his pick numbers kind of indicate. 
Um, I think he's got a lot of psychological and athletic traits that map well onto being a good cornerback. So I just like him. So maybe it's an aspirational thing, but fits where, where the Vikings uh, might draft if they trade down. All right. Aaron Rodgers, never ending saga ends before or after the draft or during perhaps why, why, limit ourselves to these false dichotomies as space right, right, yeah, right, you know yeah. are you picking the you know the middle ground there of the draft when does this actually end so it would be convenient for the jets for it to end before the 17th because then he can uh, enter the facility at the same time as anybody else so there is a very very soft deadline that includes that um and it sounds like they've gotten a lot closer if it wasn't for reports the last couple of days i would have said during the draft but i think based on the fact that the Packers have given up on the idea of getting a first-round pick, right, that they both kind of agree that it should at least be two second-round picks, and they're only really disagreeing on whether or not the Packers should get something back if if he retires in 2024. Um, I think it's going to get done before the draft. Before the draft, okay. Yeah. I, I was leaning the opposite direction, but that's that's all fair. It's, 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 just, it's just a bunch of really a couple of news pieces yeah. that hit from multiple different writers with different yeah, yeah, sources exactly. so that's right it's like there's got to be there's something in the wind there yeah okay fair enough and then i guess i, I already get your over under you, you're saying you're saying over on 6.5 so seven or more perhaps in the yeah ends. that's what that means yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and so i'm mean, just just confirming <laughs> yeah no yeah, no, no yeah 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 seven, seven or more so that's yeah. i mean say unless sam if you want to uh you know hit the reef with a, a predictive question here but that's oh. all i've got but you know what after actually like having to choose the player um i think that was that's enough prediction that's uh that's that's solid and again yeah. these are it's always fun to come back and check and oh yeah remember. yeah uh if if you get it wrong no one will remember but if if you 100%. got it right uh yeah, yeah. i mean it'll, it'll be like way funnier if i get it wrong especially if it's like a different position entirely it's like yeah actually they drafted will levis and it's like oh okay well Clearly, I should have anticipated that, you know. Yeah, right. 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 With with the understanding that you have no idea where they're picking and everything, it's right. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's right. Uh, a real uh, a real shot um, in the dark there. But anyways, Arif, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a, a blast. We we um, we really appreciate you making the time. Uh, so no, you're on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL, mm-hmm. and you got a podcast, uh, Norse Code. Uh, anything else you want to plug or anything else that listeners should know in terms of where they can find you or your stuff? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, so I don't have any other socials that I really use. Like technically I'm on Instagram. I haven't posted, so it doesn't count. Um, I only use it to like follow athletes so I can like see if they're doing something newsworthy in their Instagram reels. But um, I do have another podcast. So there's Norse code, which is the one I've been running since like 2012. And then uh, Sam and and Luke and Luke and I recently started the Minnesota football party. We've been running that since nice. uh, about the beginning of the, of the season. So that one is has been a ton of fun. Um, there's a lot more uh, kind of interchange, right? So um, yeah. a lot of dialogues. So that, that's a ton of fun. But otherwise, yeah, all my written work is over at profootballnetwork.com. Um, you can find my and my my colleagues' excellent work there. Awesome. Excellent. Can I actually, random question here, is it Norse code or yeah. the Norse code? No, it's Norse code. I, I just didn't know there was a the. I'm, I'm yeah. picturing like the moment in the social network where it tells them not the Facebook, just Facebook. Right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, it's, it's like it's like uh, it's like when old people complain about VMTV, right? You know. It's, yeah. Right. Always, yeah. Just Norse code. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to clarify that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Reef, and uh, and take care, everyone. Uh, it's been a blast. Thanks so yeah, much for listening. Fun.